Go in your book to page 13 and 14. We've gone through the salutation and the response. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Uh, the pastor is going about his job. His job is to pray as well as we're going to see to read the lessons. The collect on the top of page 14 ends with our Amen. We saw last time, uh, went through the three or five parts of the collect, who we address and why we address him what we're asking for, the petition, and why do we want it? For what benefit are we going to receive it? And then there is a termination that uh, can be small as amen or large as, the, through Jesus Christ, the full uh, small doxology that is, is found there. And so we finished uh, that part up on page 14 of your uh, Augustana service book and hymnal. You can see we're beginning, and we started it last time, uh, to go into the readings. Uh, the congregation shall be seated. The pastor shall read the epistle. If there's other optional readings, they may go before, precede the epistle. You've got the epistle listed there. We'll be coming back to this. Uh, in between the epistle and the gospel can be the gradual. Uh, if the gradual is not used, you can use the triple hallelujah, which is kind of a reduction uh, of the uh, full gradual, just using the alleluia parts. Uh, another option is to use what's called the sentence for the season, and those uh, are listed here, Advent, Epiphany, and kind of goes on through. Uh, that's another option in between. We'll come back to that. The Gospel reading, uh, not just read the Gospel, but all of a sudden it's kind of expanded. Not only is there the announcement of the Gospel, there is a, uh, a little ascription uh, a little doxology of sorts, glory be to thee, O Lord, at the beginning. Uh, when the pastor, having read it, gets to the end of the gospel, there then is a uh, small doxological singing, praise be to thee, O Christ. And so uh, the gospel reading gets a lot of attention, it seems. We've been going through our uh, liturgy of the divine service. So much scripture, so little time. I pulled those scripture verses out. We took a look at last time and saw that in the synagogues, they would gather on the Sabbath day and they would have readings. We had a reading from Moses for sure. Uh, that would be from the first five books of the Old Testament. And I would say that's probably as important Old Testament-wise as when we get to the New Testament and go, oh, we got the Gospels, the first four books. Um, so this is uh, uh, the prophet of uh, prophets, I guess, the extraordinary Moses. Uh, Paul tells Timothy that he needs to give his attention. He's a pastor. He needs to give his attention to reading. And not just for himself, this would be public reading, um, to exhortation, to doctrine, and they did do that. Um, they would read, um, you know, we, we don't want to say a chat, you want to say, well, how long? We don't know. Um, they didn't have chapters until a little bit later, and so there was a, a good amount of time left for reading. How about preaching? You know, we'll get to that later. How long do they preach? Well, we don't know. Um, if you want to follow Paul's lead, you know, uh, you preached as long as, uh, uh, say as long as the people, the would, as long as they would listen, or you know, once they started falling out of the window, you might ought to stop. Um, I, I, that's, that's what they did. Revelation five lets us know that these Old Testament passages, these scriptures, many of them which were 
prophecies, shadows pointing forward. Um, they are opened, not just literally, but that's the way it speaks in the uh, book of Revelation. You know, the seals, you can open up the book. It means we now know what these things mean. Why? Because we got the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. We have Jesus. And it is only through Jesus, his death, resurrection, his coming for us, all of this, that the entire Old Testament now has been open to understand, uh, to loose its seals, to be able to uh, understand it. So, these readings from the Word of God are to point us to Jesus. Uh, I've not been to many uh, Sunday morning services in other places, but uh, uh, when it comes to weddings, you know, you end up getting to go to a lot of different places. Um, I've, I've watched there be no readings at a wedding. I've watched as there was a reading, there was a, uh, a little poem written by somebody who did something... Um, and then, you know, there was a, a reading of the, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, there was, it was the reading of some modern day prophet, and by that I mean some rock star who wrote a song, and they, they read it. You're going, what is, you know, uh, um, you know, we're talking about the reading of God's word, that which points to Jesus, which teaches law and and teaches gospel. All right, in your uh, blue sheet, it goes on. Uh, oops, goes goes on to talk about the Old Testament uh, reading. Luke four and Acts thirteen are listed. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And he began to say to them, once he finished reading it and all his sermons began, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says, uh uh the scriptures come to fulfillment in in him. Uh, and so he is going to explain who he is, and he's going to base it on the prophet Isaiah. What do we know? Well, we know not only was there a reading in the synagogue of Moses, there was a reading of one of the prophets as well. <laughs> Acts 13, Paul says, For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. Thus these rulers have fulfilled them in condemning him. That would be Jesus. What do we know? Well, not only was Moses read, but also the prophets were read. And so we would speak about, even at this time, uh, at least two readings, similar to us having an epistle and a gospel reading. Uh, they might have used a reading as well, you know, from Moses, Maybe the major prophets, then the minor prophets, or something like that. Uh, the Psalms and Proverbs and that were often sung. Those were kind of a hymn book. Uh, and so we see uh, that, that these readings uh, were already uh, going on. Last week I explained to you how it seemed to be, I was reading from uh, Strodok's uh, uh, commentary, in which he talked about an ambo, a lectionary, and how uh, there was uh, a reading desk, an ambo, a lectern. Uh, sometimes there were two of them. Um, he explains, and I, I'm not, can't say I've studied that history. He says at, at some point that went away. And universally, he says that there was the readings from the horns of the altar. That is, from the table where the Lord's Supper was celebrated. And so you had uh, the epistle reading uh, to the north, 
you had the gospel reading to on the south or the right hand of, of the altar. And so there were these, these readings from there. Um, how this later became pretty well one, lec- one lectern from which you read the lection. In other words, the book was placed there. How that came, I, I don't really know. I do know that, that all three of those things have occurred during, uh, during the history of the uh, church. I'd like to uh, uh, present to you uh, Reed. Uh, he's speaking about these reading of the liturgical lessons. The synagogue service regularly had readings from the Law and the Prophets. Luke tells how our Lord himself, one passage, a one Sabbath entered the synagogue at Nazareth, chose a passage from the book of Isaiah and expounded it to his fellow townsmen. Um, it may even be more clear than that. That is, if you read what I just read, that Luke 4 uh, account, you find that he didn't pick, uh, uh, you, didn't, you didn't have... Um, you didn't have him handed the Bible, and then he said, well, um, yeah, I think we'll read Isaiah. It says that they handed the book of the prophet Isaiah to him. In just a minute, I'm going to give you a little diagram of sorts, but uh, the, the, the books were on scrolls. Um, and so, they were set off to the side. When it came time to read, they handed you the book. Now, it may have been a lectionary of sorts, in which you read certain passages at certain times of the year. I don't think it was yet, because of that, a uh, uh, you didn't yet... All books had to be handwritten. So you didn't have a special book that, that you went through like, like we do. So you had to have the book that had it on it, and then there would be a marking to let you know. You start reading here, you stop reading here, or something like that. Or it may be as simple as, after Passover, we start going through the book of Isaiah. Here it is. Uh, last Sabbath, the guy got through chapter 52. Here you go. You're next. Here's 53. And you read and expound uh, as you go. So, um, let's see here. Uh, where was I? So, he was hit at the uh, book. Oh, I was on read. The twofold lessons of the synagogue, meaning the prophets and Moses, were continued into the early service of the Christians. Soon selections from the epistles were added, so uh, the early church continued those readings as they were found in the synagogues. They started to add selections from the epistles, and then finally later from various gospels, Epistle, Ephesians 3, 2-5. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me, that's Paul, for you, how that by revelation, that is, God revealed, taught me, he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So, what do we have? Well, we have Paul himself saying, uh, I have been given a revelation. I can now tell you the mystery. The mystery about Christ. What's, What's the mystery? That the whole Old Testament is about him. That's the mystery. The mystery is that Christ is the Savior of the world. He said, uh, uh, it's been in the prophets, now the apostles have it, and we're now 
uh, you, you ought to listen to what we have done, and you're going to read, because I've been writing you. Colossians 4, uh, 16. Now, when this epistle is read among you, so they would read the letters that Paul wrote to them, see, to, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. We find that the early Christian churches had letters that were sent to them uh, by Paul. So the letter to Colossae, we call it the book of Colossians. <clears throat> the churches began to go, well, we, we've got this letter from Paul we've been reading. I hear you've got a letter from Paul. You've got his teaching. He's the one who has been given the apostles. We want as much as we can. You know, copy your letter off. Let us have it. You copy yours off. And that's how the New Testament scriptures kind of grew. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.27 I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy Brethren, so all these letters uh, from from Paul or Peter, uh, uh, James, some of the you know, yep that that that's what we have, and they began to be read. So that started to be oh we're going to read Moses, we're going to read Isaiah the prophet. Well, let's read from Paul's letter because here's the teaching, here's the explanation, uh, the books of the gospel as well. Uh, they also, as they were written, and the apostles didn't write them right at first, most of them took a little bit longer, uh, Matthew being earliest and John being quite a bit later, but um, uh, that this teaching of the Gospels, they, they, the apostles wanted to get it out. Well, then things started to take a little longer. They said, well, we may not be here. We better write this stuff down. So we have the uh, the Gospels uh, as well. Uh, let's go back to read. Mary. Uh, on Newsmax, I have seen a Jewish man um, who um, says that the Jews of today generally skip over Isaiah 53. And he was reading the Bible. I mean, they just, you know, it's a blank. And he was reading the Bible to his father, and his father got angry and hollered, "Don't read to me about Jesus." Oh, yes. And uh, and then he go, goes on to talk. His thing is about how a Jew should believe in Jesus and why. And he does the same sort of thing that that probably the people on the road to Emmaus got. It surprises us. Uh, we read from God's Word, we preach from God's Word, we have Bible study on God's Word, we have devotions on the Word of God. That's not the case in most mainline Christian whatever. They're into justice, they're into what, what, whatever is going on. It's, you know, so Pick and in Judaism, you've you got the, you know, we, we go, oh, they have the Old Testament. Well, technically, but... You know, no, they've gone on to the Midrash. They've gone on to so many other things. Um, they're, not, they're not paying attention to that kind of uh, uh, tradition. So we got the Epistles, we got the Gospels. The next step reduced the lessons from the Old Testament to one with the New Testament Epistle and the Gospel, giving it a threefold. And he mentions that that's still in use in some other liturgies. Eventually, the Old Testament lesson was dropped from general use in the Roman service, while the epistle and gospel uh, remained. In some cases, however, as in the weekday Lent, it was in fact the epistle that was dropped, which led to a reading of selections from the prophets as epistles in our own church. Um, this is an interesting uh, thing, that uh, the readings, if we're going to talk about uh, the, uh, the readings that are found, normally we talk about what, what we know as the Old Testament, the Epistle, and the Gospel. It was, and, and I'll get to the time frame, uh, um, 800 or something, in which from that point on, there was really only an Epistle and a Gospel reading. There was not an Old Testament. It got dropped. 
Um, with that being dropped, it was not until uh, the Roman Catholic Church with Vatican II that they brought back a, a, a three-year kind of series of readings and included an Old Testament reading. And that is when the Lutherans started adding back in an Old Testament reading with Vatican II. But I, I wanted to show you, it's, it's somewhat interesting. Mo, you know, you would expect these would be epistles, these would be Gospels. There is, uh, at times, in the epistle section, whoa, wait, Isaiah's there. Jeremiah. Isaiah. Sometimes the epistle reading is from the Old Testament. Um, well, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just that it's, it, it is interesting that... Um, so, and, and we'll talk in just a bit, but um, when... If you want to add back in an Old Testament reading... Normally you would say, well, fine, we'll find one that's appropriate, and we'll stick it over here. But what if the epistle is an Old Testament reading? So then do you have an Old Testament, an Old Testament, and? Or do you move the one that's Old Testament back over here, and then pick an epistle? I mean, they're, they're, how, you, how you would get you know, back to that kind of thing uh, is uh, you know, a little bit interesting. Um, uh, the rubrics of the common service, which our uh, hymnal is based on, permitted the reading of an Old Testament lesson. Uh, just as you find it in this book where it says, if you want to read something else before, don't stick it in the middle. Put it before the epistle readings. You can read Old Testament or whatever you want. If you want to have six readings, stick them all before that. Um, and, and that's what it meant, it does. He goes on, and again, you might remember, Reed was, with his second edition, <laughs> moving past that onto the common liturgy and talks about how they have restored the Old Testament reading uh, so that there are uh, now three. Uh, the common liturgy, it's a return to a practice of the early church long before Gregory uh, the Great. From apostolic times, the reading of carefully chosen lessons from the Holy Scripture has been an important feature, and indeed the high point of the first part of the Christian liturgy. Uh, at first, there were sections of letters from the Apostles and Gospels read consecutively. You just read as long as you could stick around. Um, there were no fixed selection. Later, it led to propers. The three great festivals were the first to have definite lessons, Easter, Christmas, uh, Pentecost, or Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. Um, you do have traces of a continual reading with some parts of the church year. Uh, later, it went from them simply reading uh, certain sections as they were marked to having a book, and I talked to you last time about how sometimes they, uh, with this book, they put it in gold and put jewels on it and... and and all of sort. Tradition credits Jerome at about 420, having selected most of the one-year series of lessons, which is pretty amazing uh, that the church has looked at this and said, yes, this, this is extremely helpful to us. The entire propers were elaborated and authorized in diocesan missiles of Western Europe. Charlemagne secured a preparation of homilies or sermons based upon the lessons. Um, to which many people simply use those. Uh, there were some differences. It finally, uh, until Pope Pius V in 1570, so we're, we're looking at post-Reformation, where they uh, started to uh, uh, formalize exactly what was to be there. I want to go to... It seems like lightning speed when you consider the technology, travel, uh, ability to communicate long distances and all that at the time. This must have been lightning speed for, for Christianity's beginning. 
Uh, the church moves very slowly, doesn't it? Um, I want to show you some uh, things. This actually is a uh, archaeological outline of a synagogue uh, that pretty well uh, uh, from the first century. Uh, you had to dig through layers and, and different things of this sort. Uh, it was often quite bare. Uh, there were, you know, to make it big enough, you had to have some columns in it. Nevertheless, uh, like those columns uh, that were there, uh, they would not have been uh, significant enough to hold up the, the, the roof. Some uh, engineers have kind of said, well, wouldn't have done it, you know. Uh, obviously, you would want some open in the middle, but uh, by doing it this way, there was ways in which you could allow some light to get in uh, from those, and I'll, I'll kind of show you some pictures. We don't know exactly uh, what happened in synagogues. We've got some snippets, and we draw conclusions based upon it. But what do you find? You find that in the synagogues, they had a raised platform that was called the Bema. There was a lectern of sorts uh, and a chair. And so you would have a place where you would read the lessons as well as you would have a chair where the person who was preaching on the lessons would sit while he delivered uh, uh, the sermon. Uh, and, and that was pretty well all that they had for the synagogue. Why? Well, uh, you had temple worship, but there's no sacrifices going on in synagogues. Synagogues are for Jews who are far away from Jerusalem and can't get back to Jerusalem. So what are you going to do? Well, you don't set up your own temple sacrifice, whatever. But you can have a place for the reading of the word of God for prayers and, and, and that's what they did as it went on it seems that they moved this prayer desk, this bema back to the end they put an ASP at the end of it, A-P-S-E and they would put it at this end the center section was open, there might be a bench along the side both sides if there were any that were older and couldn't stand for the entire service because that's what you did you stood for the whole service or you sat on the floor um, but there were some oh, I think they called them gracious fences allowing those that, that couldn't that was put off to the side but that pretty well was uh, the, generally speaking, the way that the synagogue was put together. Uh, I think I have a, uh, an example here um, of the reading that was done here, and then later it being moved over uh, to one end with this kind of uh, section up here. Uh, oh, pictures. So, this gives you a bit. Uh, here is uh, an archaeological uh, opening of it. You can see here is the beam of the table. There might have been a chair for the preacher. Uh, they've got uh, a scroll. It could be that uh, there was a large jars, pottery that would hold the scrolls, and they would be labeled. Uh, later on, again, we don't know exactly at what time, there may have been a, 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 a large cabinet that held the scrolls. Uh, later, they began to uh, take this place that held the scrolls and they <coughs> called it an ark. And they intentionally made it so that it was on wheels and could move. So they didn't really move it. Um, the idea being that in the Old Testament, 
the, temp, the, the tabernacle and the ark that went with it got up and moved, and wherever it went, that's where God was, and God is where his word is, so that was uh, uh, given. Again, you can kind of see uh, how, how that was. Um, you have many pictures that talk about Jesus. Uh, with that Luke 4, he's up at the lectionary, he's been given a scroll, um, you know, I don't, I don't there's always columns, because that's kind of the way it was, uh, where there uh, lights being to, to keep things going, you know, very well uh, could be. Uh, this gives you a little more of a simpler, uh, it doesn't make as good of a picture, but um, uh, the idea that the columns held up, but there would be light that could be able to come in, there would be a simple table. Maybe there was pottery to put the readings in. They handed him, here's the next reading. He would do that. The people would all go around. Um, I, I particularly like, you know, seeing that. Uh, and then I got to this picture, you know, which is in a reenactment. And, you know, here he is. Something's not historically right, though. Where's this called? Where's this They're opposite. Hmm? He's sitting and they shouldn't stand. Yes. They're sitting and he's standing. Which goes for us. <laughs> but at this time, you remember, remember when they talk about uh, they, Jesus, they asked Jesus about the pro, about the about the Sadducees, you know, the scribes and all, and what does he say? He says they sit in Moses' seat. You know, so listen, but don't do what they do. What does it mean, they sit in Moses' seat? Moses must have sat to preach also. <laughs> you read from the Word, and then who's ever in the office of teaching, who's ever been placed in that, he gets to not stand. There's the preaching seat. Go sit in Moses' seat and preach Moses to the people. So, yeah, this is not necessarily... Were there in some of these... Yes, around the sides. Um, you know, but... Uh, but th this is more of what we're, of, of what we're looking at. Um, where he would have stood, or there might have been a raised platform where he stood, but, but everyone else would have sat. Okay. Um, the early church. I do have some, uh, we've used before an early church VBS called Follow the Lamb. Uh, we've taught this a couple of times in our congregation. Uh, it goes through and talks about how the structure of the early church was a divine service of two parts, word and sacrament. We've been going through the service of the word, uh, then we'll be going through the service of the sacrament. It gives a little bit of an idea of how the house church would have looked uh, already in the first century. Uh, what do we find? Um, we find that they would have probably met uh, in something that was a storefront. Um, there would have been a, uh, a place where uh, the Christians would have met normally at night. Uh, there would be a table. There would be an open area for uh, worship. Uh, these places did not have light. The inside, there was a center courtyard that was open. Uh, which would allow, based upon, you know, you might have the roof and you might have an extra fear, and that would allow some uh, light in during the day. Uh, they would need candles at night. Uh, if they're uh, going to be a place for, for washing, they, that would be of use for the baptismal uh, thing. And so they often met in these house churches. This was simply a synagogue. That's exactly what it looked like, with the ex exception of there was a table. Now, the Jews had Friday night, beginning at 6, was their Sabbath. They would have their Sabbath meal. They would have their meal. Today in our readings, we're going to have the gospel reading, 
Jesus is going to be invited to one of these Sabbath meals, and you might invite, if you didn't, well, the Father would give his catechetical message to his children, would teach them during that night. If you had, you could invite someone special to come, a traveling rabbi. And so Jesus gets invited, and then he would have a bit of a sermon or or teaching upon this. Um, The Jews had that on Friday night. That was their Sabbath, their Seder meal. Um, And then they would go to the synagogue, if you had one, on Saturday. That would be Saturday morning. So you had the meal, and you had the word. No sacrifice. That was all in the temple. When the early Christians came together, they had the reading and the word. You had the meal. Those two were put together because the meal was the Lord's Supper, the words of institution. They were put together. Once again, no sacrifice. Why? When we start, don't start killing animals. And it's all done. Right, exactly. Um, this particular uh, book does a very good job, and it talks about how there are these two service of the word, service of the sacrament. Uh, the service of the word, as it goes forward, it reaches its climax with the pastor and his sermon. No, no. <laughs> it reaches its climax at... The gospel. Uh, again, everything in the service, uh, especially, you know, the, the ceremony, the, uh, you, you see, whoa, this gospel thing must be important. Yeah, that's the highlight. Uh, the sermon then, based upon that, serves as the hinge, if you will, to the service of Lord's Supper, the sacrament itself, and that reaches its climax with Jesus' words of institution. So I've already given you the answers to the uh, uh, the quiz. Hey, we don't have a quiz. Uh, the early church, just to kind of bring it all around, by the time you get to the 4th century, you start to see Christianity has been given legal status. Uh, Christianity has gone far and wide. They start to build buildings. This is the... A large building that they would make. There's a courtyard by which you go in. <laughs> Note, not only for architecture, but there's also the columns to go. You have the main section of the church, the nave. That apse, which was uh, on the end, is continued, and that's where uh, you place the uh, altar, uh, the place where we're going to have Lord's Supper. Uh, There might be lecterns or a pulpit or things of this sort here. The baptistry actually was removed from that and was placed in an outside building uh, at the time. Uh, There may have been other places. This happened to be built uh, uh, in connection with the tomb of Christ. But to to give you a feel for this, there's a consistency that goes uh, through uh, the architecture and the way that the church uh, continues The Reformation emphasis upon the gospel as recorded in the scripture increased the relative importance of this part of the service in the practical life of the church. Liturgically, this was expressed in general recognition of the controlling power of the lessons in establishing the theme and the tone of each day's service. In the development of a sermon as interpreting and enforcing this central usage and in a rich outpouring of congregational hymns and melodies based upon the thought of the lessons as appointed for particular Sundays and festivals in the church. Go back to your white sheet. Uh, I have the epistle, the gradual. The word gradual comes from uh, a Latin word meaning gradus, grades, or we would call them steps. Um, it is uh, often, you got like two ideas. One idea is that when there were two readings, they would read the epistle reading on one step, go a little bit higher, and you would read the gospel reading. And so, uh, um, that, that kind of idea that we would make a distinction between the epistle and the gospel. Um, I'm not particularly fond of that one. 
I am fond of the idea that after the epistle reading, uh, the deacon or whoever he was would go down to his place and then someone else would come and they would go up the gradus, the steps, to get to read the gospel reading. And in the meantime, what are we going to do when there's a little uh, dancing time <laughs> back and forth? Um, well, we're going to chant. And so even as, uh, um, not just practical, but, but, but going forward and going, okay, uh, we're pretty sure in the, in the synagogues you would have a reading, a psalm, a reading, a psalm. These are the psalms. And so we're going to start chanting. John 5.39, they list in this one, Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Often these graduals, which are taken from the Psalms and things of that sort, will illustrate or teach, and sometimes we even pull New Testament uh, uh, words out of them, in order to direct our attention to Jesus in these readings. As I mentioned before, this gradual is a could have been a full psalm. It's now part of a psalm. It was sung by the choir by the time this came about fourth century. Um, to, to, to be able to have a liturgical choir and someone that, that does this is beyond most uh, uh, of our congregations. Uh, if the congregation is able, they will chant it uh, uh, together in unison, especially now that we have books that we can get to. You can see early uh, American Lutherans pretty well only had the hymns and then even not even the tunes. And so... Uh, that was not able, as the churches you know, uh, uh, progressed in modern times, we've got the resources. Here mm -hmm. is the gradual, you can sing it. If you don't use the gradual, you can pull out what is the hallelujah. Uh, it's a Hebrew word, which means uh, <laughs> hallelujah, give praise to Yahweh or the Lord. Bless the Lord of my soul that is within me. Bless his holy name. As we are reading the lessons, we are praising God that he has given this to us. Uh, Revelation has this kind of repeated uh, praise of God in Alleluia's. Then we get to the gospel. Therefore, Matthew 7, Jesus says, Whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The gospel is going to be Jesus' words. He's speaking to us. They are his things. We are being told to build our house upon the words of Jesus. John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me who sent me, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. The listening to Jesus and his words, he has the words of eternal life. Everything, this is the high point. This is it. And everything that came out of the Old Testament, it all points to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If there is one reading, fine, epistle, and then the gospel. If there's two reading, it's Old Testament, it's epistle, and then the gospel. Uh, been to a concert? Been to a concert lately? What's the last concert you were at? <laughs> Allison, what was your concert? You went to see. Was there anyone like? Was there anyone else performing? Yeah, but you know there was there was maybe a couple bands, right? When does Brian? When did when did he come? Came out at nine o'clock. When did the other ones? Seven. Oh. Who's most important? <laughs> the last one the last guy right we're waiting Old Testament you don't put Jesus first he's the main act you put him last Old Testament oh it's going to talk about Epistle 
Jesus, he's the main act. He comes at 9 o'clock, right? Well, I don't know. So anyway, that's why we have the gospel. That is the most important um, that is put here. I give you an outline. Uh, as you see, there may be an Old Testament. Uh, there is an epistle. There is a gradual or a hallelujah or a sentence or a sequence. We do find that in certain uh, seasons of the church year, and we're going to kind of come back to that one next time. Um, during Lent, we have something which is called the tract uh, that replaces the gradual. The gradual is sang by the choir in uh, cheery tones. The tract was sung by one person, and it was in a penitential tone. And that's where the word tract or tractus comes if it, it was uh, uh, simply during Lent, it, you, you backed it off a bit. During Easter, there were more hallelujahs. Uh, we're back to not only the rejoicing, but high rejoicing uh, that replaces uh, the gradual. Go in your book to... To page 16. Page 16. The Holy Gospel is written in the 11th chapter of St. Luke, beginning at the first verse. The pastor announces, this is... Uh, uh, where I am going to read, usually in connection with the first reading, he tells you the epistle reading is from the 17th chapter after, or the, is from the 17th Sunday after Trinity. Yeah, we'll also tell you where that is. But by the time we got the gospel, you've already gotten where it is. All I'm going to tell you is where it is. The people rise, and the pastor shall announce the gospel, and then the people sing. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Gradual, gradual. The reading of the gospel, Strodox says, has always been given special honor. There is not a single liturgy in existence anywhere from the earliest on which does not make specific provision for the reading of the gospel. The series of gospel used throughout the church here in all probability had a definitely chosen nucleus. Uh, this, of course, was inspired by the early practice of associating certain events recorded with their anniversary dates. Um, and that's where I was talking about Christmas and, and these. Uh, the observance of these then uh, brought it to bear. The central position of the gospel, the climax of the pre-communion office, the service of the word, its great message of value and honor is shown in the announcement. It's simple but profound stirring. Here is the declaration of the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus. Uh, this first part of the service is often referred to as the Mass of the Catechumens. And uh, the second part is referred to as the Mass of the Faithful. Or if we said word and sacrament. What they mean by that is, if you had not yet joined the church, you came and listened through the Gospel reading and the sermon... And then you were dismissed because you weren't going to take Lord's Supper yet. You hadn't joined the church. And so, at that point, we dismissed however many, fourth of the people, and, they went, and then we went on to the last part, and we would do the communion liturgy. Um, the service of uh, uh, this Mass of the Catechumens, uh, you have the climax of the, uh, the high point of it, the people stood normally throughout the service. Later, they sat right on the ground at the floor. By as early as the 4th century, and this is when we have uh, buildings built and the, and the church has in legal status, there's already definite prescriptions commanding all to rise and stand during the reading of the gospel. The Apostolic Constitution, one of the earliest uh, books that we have telling us about what's going on 
in the Christian church. When the gospel is read, let all the presbyters and the deacons, uh, pastors and deacons, all the people stand very quietly. Uh, this standing is a means by where special honor is shown to the gospel. Many enriched ceremonies clustered about this reading. There were processions to the middle of the church. There were the lighting of candles, uh, the ringing of bells. Uh, the book particularly of it, incense was burned. Uh, everyone took off their hats. Uh, weapons were laid down. Uh, the deepest reverence for the words of Jesus himself. What is this? The people begin before the gospel... Glory be to thee, O Lord. Glory. God gets glory. When we glorify God, God gets glory when his attributes are proclaimed. In particular, we're getting ready to hear about Jesus. The glory that God gets is, from Genesis 3.15 on, he's been telling us, I'm sending you a Savior. It's finally come. This is saying, all glory be to you. You kept your word. You did what you said. You redeemed your people. All glory be to you. And we recognize him as the Lord. The one who has done this for us. We then have the reading of the gospel. And the people respond. Now, praise be to thee, O Christ. A little change in who we're talking to, at least by, by the title. From, O Lord, the one who has sent the Savior to redeem the world to O Christ the second person probably first or second uh, uh, to Jesus himself and we praise him because what we just heard about our salvation we've got the forgiveness of sins in Jesus in fact this seems to be a thanksgiving to to the Father himself for bringing about our salvation in Jesus, who's the center of all the world, and this seems to be us talking to Jesus himself, who is now present in our midst, where Jesus and his words are being spoken. We praise him, like any of the uh, people before, the, uh, the leper that comes back and falls and praises him, uh, all the people last Sunday when Jesus brought the uh, widow's son alive praises him. We see this praise being given. Uh, and, in addition, this kind of standing towards the gospel. Comments, questions? It's a tiny thing. Tiny things. Are, it's not even... It's a typo. Are you supposed to let them know in yes. this? Okay, so uh, there's an N missing. Bottom left page, uh, page 16. So um, whatever you mark that or whatever. Or All right, show me later. Okay. Show me later. Um, yep. Todd. The, the construction behind, the, I guess, the apps or what we can yeah. the altar. Is it constructed like that specifically for acoustic reasons, or is that just a benefit? Um, it does serve as a amplification so that the word is easier to go out as your... But every one of those is always designed in a, uh, in a blue background as if it is the world, the, the sky and everything in it. And so you kind of have this idea of the creation of all the world and then the word going out, whether it is the creation itself, the words of creating us by the word, or the words of Jesus, the word. So it's, it's always kind of been that idea. Uh, you'll see this in, uh, uh, we, we got our, our church, we've got a blue background. Um, if you see an altar, one of these beautiful white altars, like a, 
Christ Jacob and, and some of these, usually there is a statue of Jesus. It's in an Ascension Day pose. Um, he's normally standing on a blue circle, a blue half circle, and usually behind him it's blue. It, it's always this ascending Jesus in creation. So, Tony. Yeah, uh, just occurred to me while you were talking about church architecture. The interesting thing is I traveled around Europe and village churches would often have pews. But the biggest ones, like uh, if you were going to Chicago or St. Louis, no church, no pews, and sometimes no chairs so that they could get thousands of people in there. <laughs> and St. Peter's, give you an idea, at the altar, Michelangelo's dome is above it, 600 feet or something tall. There's four pillars, pillars holding that dome up, each one for the gospel. For yes. The gospel. Most pillars are as big as a two-bedroom house. <laughs> yep. It's just, it's just, blows your mind. I don't remember the name. They also twist um, they're made of this mar- they, they got a name. I can't remember. There's so there's even something more special with it. So, Michael? The, the Baldacino. Baldacino, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's with the with <coughs> over the altar. Uh, yeah. Having the columns and the thing. But even though the columns say, say something else with it. Um, okay. That gets us to uh, the importance, the climax, the gospel, everything leading up to it. Um, I'm going to come back to the readings and the list of readings next time, um, which which is uh, this, which uh, is based upon the uh, Sundays, the feast days, the festivals. We're going to take a look at the, uh, the church here as these go together. But I do want to, since I've been doing this the last few Sundays going through, we talked about the introit, uh, how it, it amplifies the theme of the day. Now the gradual, it also amplifies the theme of the day. We talked about the colic, collects the theme of the day into one prayer. The readings, it's all based upon the gospel reading. The epistle is none other than a sermon upon the gospel reading. What do we have today? We've got Luke 14. We have Jesus being invited to a meal, a Sabbath meal, with the ruler of the Pharisees, and yet they don't want to listen to him. So he gets invited to the meal, but they don't want to listen. What they want to do is they want to watch him and catch him. They have, you know, they think Jesus is wrong. And so they push themselves in their pride, put themselves over Jesus, and that's the only reason they invite him, so they can catch him. When he tries to engage them in teaching, they won't even answer him. Jesus finally tells the parable and says, you guys are so prideful that God is going to kick you out of the highest seat, and when someone more important comes, that's Jesus, he's going to take your spot. Um, And so he explains this. uh, Paul preaches a sermon, you might say. Um, He tells us to walk worthy of our calling. Well, what have we been called? We've been called to be Christians, and that's a free gift. Uh, We confess our sins and believe in Christ. Uh, And so he's going to talk about lowliness and gentleness, not pride. We're going to see in 1 Samuel 2 that uh, uh, Hannah says, Don't talk any more proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. Um, it's going to highlight this theme, and it's going to fit with uh, the uh, the other propers that go with. It. We could do this again. I can give you. We can go through each one of those, but um, uh, it's designed with a purpose. And just to give you a little bit of an idea uh, of what I'm talking about, there is. There is a church here that we have uh, that starts with Advent. About half of the year goes with the story of Jesus' life um, and ends pretty well with uh, the Trinity, uh, Holy Trinity Sunday or Pentecost, uh, Trinity right after that. And then the second part of the church year, which we usually refer to as the long green season, uh, deals with the people of God. 
So this often deals with Jesus' life over six months. Over the next six months, we're going to be talking about what Jesus is doing in the church. You can divide this season up as well into two parts. Okay, We've, We're pretty well in about here. We're moving in. We're in the second part of the second part. Okay, um, To give you a little bit of an idea, we're in the 17th Sunday. Just, just thinking, 13th Sunday after Trinity, uh, we had the story, uh, we have Jesus uh, talking about the fulfillment of the law. Uh, the ruler comes to him and says, what do I have to do in here? I have to love the Lord your God. Love. It was about love. 14th Sunday was about being cleansed. Purity with the ten lepers coming. And then the thanksgiving that comes. So we're talking about love. We're talking about thanksgiving. Fifteenth Sunday, Jesus preaches about how we should not worry that we ought to give a singleness of heart. You cannot have two masters. Speaking of the trust that the people uh, have. Sixteenth Sunday, uh, we, were, uh, we were talking about patience in the midst of our tribulation. Uh, The woman has lost her husband and then lost her son, and Jesus comes and has compassion on us in our tribulation. Today we're going to be talking about humility, humbleness as opposed to pride, and Jesus is going to tell us about what happened at the table when he was with the Pharisees. So there, not only is there themes... But there's also a progression of themes. And right now, we've been talking about the virtues that God puts in his church and how we are to follow this as we are uh, disciples of Christ. All right, I'm out of time. That's great. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon your service this morning. We ask that we might open our ears to hear your word, that we might receive you and recognize that you are truly present uh, in the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.